friends. We're so glad you joined us at the Grace Gathered podcast. If you found your way here, know that you are hearing from two women who have prayed over you. Our prayer is that together we can encounter God and His Word intentionally and saturate our minds with Jesus in a world that is determined to fix our eyes on anything but Him. We hope you gather much encouragement to grow on and to share, and that you leave each episode knowing and loving Jesus just a little bit more. Hey ladies, welcome to season two. We are excited to be here and excited that you are here. We pray for each of you and we hope that you will pray for us as we lead this conversation forward into the new year. Our specific prayer this year is that grace would become an intensely personal word in each of our lives. We are spending these next eight episodes exploring the theme of grace upon grace. It comes to us from what will be our theme verse, John chapter 1, verse 16. It is short but powerful, reading, Out of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And in the New International Version, it says, Grace in place of grace already given. God pours out more grace than we know what to do with. It is an act of grace to even understand it or recognize it. When we have much, we somehow become oblivious to it and forgetful of it. With the blinders of our daily lives and in the culture and community in which we live, we tend to devalue and forget the grace poured out on us. Grace comes in many forms, but today we're going to talk about the grace of remembrance. Remembering both our dire need for grace and all the grace that God has already poured out on us. I cannot spend this time convincing you or me of our need for grace, but I hope today to put our thinking at odds with that of the world and learn to hope for brokenness. My sisters and I have talked many times about how foolish it is that sometimes we pray for growth from God in an opportunity or a relationship, and we forget to account for the growing pains that come with it. I want to dare to pray for each of us to have a deeper understanding of grace, but I realize that praying that is inviting pain and awareness of shame and remembrance of despair. This is because without remembering first our need and hopelessness, we cannot esteem mercy and grace and God for who he is. With forgetfulness comes a delusion of self-sufficiency and a life void of an open invitation for God to work. Let's talk really quickly about the difference between mercy and grace. You may have heard it said this way, that mercy is not giving us what we deserve, while grace is giving us what we do not deserve. Not one of us is better than another. We are to treat every human as God treats us. The Scottish minister Robert Murray McShane wrote, The seed of every sin known to man is in my heart. This means that each of us is capable of things we never thought we would be capable of. Sometimes God's grace keeps us out of a situation that might awaken that, but other times things come to pass and we make mistakes and he mercifully uses it for good in a way that only he can. 
a mentor of mine once told me that she can tell when she's in a really ungrateful and prideful place when the words, I would never, come out of her mouth. In response to seeing what someone else has done, saying, I would never. The depth of horrors and evil in our hearts is known only by God, as are the ways he will redeem them. So yes, mercy is not giving each of us a death sentence, that which we do deserve. But grace is pouring out so many things that we do not deserve. If you're like me, this immediately brings images to mind of blessings upon blessings. But God's ways are not our ways. Instead of a life of blessings to remind us that we are loved beyond reason and saved beyond justice, God offers us true grace, and sometimes that comes in forms we don't recognize or appreciate. It may be a no, a disappointment, a setback, or undesirable timing. But only God sees the beginning and the end. He is El Shaddai, Alpha and Omega. It is so easy for us to devalue grace, and the devil helps us do it. One way he does that is by trying to convince us that we have earned and acquired grace on our own, that we are self-sufficient and self-made. If he can't do that, he does the opposite. He reminds us of the first part of the equation, our hopelessness, without the second part, the redeeming love and grace of God. I think he also asks us to look at our life and measure the amount of grace in it by the number of perceived blessings. But we can recognize that the world is broken and God doesn't work that way. In his devotional New Morning Mercies, Paul David Tripp says, If you mourn the fallenness of the world rather than curse its difficulties, you know that grace has visited you. To me, this means that even in a hard life or a hard season, we can recognize that the God of grace is at work. The first half of my prayer for today is an understanding of our depth of hopelessness and our need for grace. And the second half is that we would recognize the grace pockets all around us. We talk about our need for community a lot. This is one way that community is so important is to have people who can point out grace miracles in your life that you aren't in a position to recognize. It is to have people to celebrate those grace moments with, to mourn the disappointments with, and to add perspective to something that doesn't seem like grace at the start. The discipleship group I get to be a part of right now began noticing pockets of grace immediately in Genesis upon starting our reading plan. I will admit that I have thought of grace as a very New Testament idea, with the stringent laws of the Old Testament contrasting heavily with the sweet grace of Jesus coming. But God, again, knows the whole story and has been writing grace into it from the very beginning. In Genesis 3, after Eve sins, God still claims her for his own purposes. He could have left her to the same fate as the snake, and there were consequences to her actions, but he did not do that. And when God tells Noah that he'll flood the earth because of wickedness, Noah had to wonder if that applied to him. Everyone is wicked, everyone. And after the flood, 
God could have left them to live in constant fear and the wonder of whether they could ever live a life good enough that he wouldn't flood the earth again. But God left them a promise and a reminder. We need reminders. We need reminders of our wretchedness and of the rainbow moments. God told Moses all throughout his story to keep putting up stones as altars of remembrance so that people would look upon them and remember, passing on the stories of God's grace and goodness to the next generation. I look around my house and I actually see a couple in my home. Mine are furniture. That might be silly, but I have these DIY, only so-so DIY nightstands that I made and painted But they're special to me because at a time in my life where I needed a war room to pray, those nightstands were where I knelt and I prayed prayers of brokenness and healing and expectancy. My little worn down patio bench is another one. Now, minor furniture, but they don't have to be. When Jacob wrestled with God, God broke his hip and blessed him so that With every step Jacob took after that, he was reminded that he needed to lean on God's divine grace. Now, my daughter's sweet face is a reminder of God's grace. God knows I don't deserve a daughter, and God knows how long I prayed for her. How easy it is to forget when God pours out the blessings, when you're in the middle of all the hard stuff that goes with it that getting her here was a situation full of grace. In hoping and praying that she will someday know a saving relationship with God, I must pray for brokenness. I have to pray that she will know the sting of sin, as much as that chafes against the way that we think, as much as we want to protect people from pain and shame and discomfort. Without that level of despair, she will never know God to the level that he desires to be known. Only he can step in and save. We cannot cause our souls to live. Grace is understanding the direness of our situation in the light of the hope of redemption. Grace is being ashamed of our sin, but not carrying it around with us. Grace is shining a light on things done in darkness because otherwise we cannot mourn them as God does. Grace does not seem to abound in families and workplaces and cultures where self-sufficiency is expected and revered. In our home, I pray that each of us will experience brokenness, and thus salvation and redemption and hope. And I pray that for each of you as well. Every touch of God in our lives is grace upon grace from the time we are born until the time we die. In his devotional, New Morning Mercies, Paul David Tripp also writes, The resurrection promises you all the grace you need between Jesus' resurrection and yours. If your end has already been guaranteed, then all the grace you need along the way has been guaranteed as well, or you would never make it to your appointed end. Future grace always carries with it the promise of present grace. Grace is not just redemption past and future hope. Grace is now. So our prayer is that we would each remember just how unworthy we are and how recklessly we steward grace. 
God, let your grace be the most influential thing in our lives, more than our past or what other people say about us. Show us your glory and let your grace never cease to amaze us. Though we will not understand your ways, let us esteem and celebrate grace.